the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we uh, head into our third hour. It is a delight, privilege, and honor for me to welcome back to the show a dear friend, a former professor of mine, but still really a current professor of mine, and that is Charles Kessler. He is the editor of the Claremont Review of Books, a professor at the Claremont McKenna College, and the author of probably, uh, to my mind, the most important book uh, on conservatism in America and in at least a decade, came out last year, Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and recovery of american greatness charles kessler welcome back how you doing sir very well Seth. thank you very much you are, you are quite the uh, sweet talker i say no <laughs> i don't know about that uh, there are a lot of people here I, I who would feel, disagree. I feel very uh, flattered uh, and honored so it's a good feeling well it was the honor of a lifetime to sit in your classroom and it's the honor to still be able to learn from you sir um let me let me get into this this way as we're in high uh, beginning to get into high political season as a general election matter. We're still wrestling with a few primaries uh, where candidates in the Republican Party strive to prove their conservative credentials and bona fides, if you will. They're the most conservative is the kind of thing you will hear them say you know this movement and have written about it and helped define it perhaps better than any living American. You wrote Keeping the Tablets with Bill Buckley. How stands the conservative movement today, Charles? I know it's a broad question. Take it any way you want. Well, it, it is. A, it, it's a highly uh, relevant question, and it's, a, it's um, puzzling, I think, because uh, the conservative movement is... Um, um, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's trying to rethink itself, yeah, um, um, and to reimagine itself under new circumstances. And to, to my mind, there are two ways to do that. I mean, one is to um, start with the axioms and principles of, of of the previous conservatism, the older conservatism, and uh, ask yourself. How do they need to be applied to new circumstances? Um, because there's no doubt that, you know, politically we're in a, a position we've never been before, um, and that that position is is itself evolving in new and uh, uh, shocking sometimes directions all the time. Uh, but if you uh, if you begin by thinking that there are certain uh, uh, general propositions. That would hold true regardless of the political circumstances. Then, then your, I think your problems are manageable. They're not easy, but they're uh, one can one can imagine how to solve them, namely how to apply those principles to um, radically new or maybe not so radically new circumstances. If, however, you begin by uh, imagining that the older conservatism is a spent force, um, not only in its practical manifestations, but even in its 
uh, principles, um, and then you have a then you have a problem, which is where do you find your principles? Um, where are you going to find the, the the gist of the new conservatism, whatever you whatever slogan you want to apply to it? Um, if you don't find it, at least in some of the axioms of the um, older conservatism and the traditions that it in turn drew on, the traditions going back to not just to the American founding, but, but you know, longer in the history of the West into Christendom and into uh, the Bible and into, you know, to the Romans and Greeks and so forth. Um, uh, yeah, so go ahead. Idea, I mean, I think that um, we, there are a lot of younger conservatives who at least imagine that what they're doing is the second thing, um, that they are making a sweeping break with the Buckley style of conservatism, with the with conservatism Inc., uh, as, they, as they sometimes call it. Um, and that, uh, and, and I, you know, I'm somewhat sympathetic to that, because conservatism Inc., that what they mean by that is not, in fact, Buckley conservatism. Right. Is, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's it's where I want to be. A degenerate conservatism that that um, has more to do with the you know institutionalization, if I may use that word, of the conservative movement. And when you get institutions, when you get large, you know, when you get political parties, when you get um, interest groups, when you get uh, think tanks. When you get uh, uh, even you know colleges, any institution uh, tends to um, uh, pursue its own interests yeah. uh, um, and to study its own interests as well as the things it's supposed to be doing in the name of the common good. And after a long time, you know the the um, the weight of personal interest. Uh, begins to uh, affect the, the performance and the, but even the, the self-conception of conservative institutions, just like it does liberal institutions or any other kind of uh, institutions. That I understand, but it it it's a, it seems to me to be a false um, uh, step to go from uh, impatience with conservatism Inc. To a rejection of the uh, experience of American conservatism, uh, broadly defined. That's right. I, I agree with everything you said, and I think that last point helps us get to the clarity: American conservatism. Because there are, I I suppose, different flavors or different labels that have been put on the word conservative, different kinds of conservatism, paleo, neo, uh, we all know the list. And the project of your academic life and uh, so much of the institutes has been to try and define the conservative movement as an American conservative. And therein may lie the medicine and sucre to get us out of some of this um, internal debate and some of this, uh, uh, I don't know, shall we say, entropy. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the conservative movement was uh, uh, always, you know, arguing with itself. Yeah. Uh, and that's because it had a lot of um, eccentric formulations of what conservatism was supposed to be 
and what the you know the American interest um, was uh, domestically and in foreign policy, and and because of that, there were you know there were a lot of debates, and some of them were very good, revealing you know deepening kinds of debates, um, and a lot of them were more frivolous and uh, you know personality driven or uh, interest driven. Uh, and not so uh, uh, not so uh, impressive, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so when I was a young conservative, you know, I was full of arguments about what conservatism ought to be, and I still am full of arguments about what conservatism ought to be. Um, but it didn't. Um, I don't think it detracted from our uh, a general kind of patriotic. American conservatism, uh, which was the the uh, you know the the what it, what at its best the conservative movement had in common uh, with ordinary American citizens, and uh, and you know then which which flavor of conservatism you were past that point was uh, debatable, and certainly uh, you know there were a lot of uh, there were a lot of good debates. In those days, um, and uh, in some ways, the debates were more interesting than they are today. I think. That, yes, let, and let, let me pick up on that for a moment because it almost seems at times we're a movement looking for a debate that may not actually exist. I mean, if we think about conservatism being meant to conserve something. It's almost as if our side of this, the Claremont side of this, Charles, almost in a sense may have won that debate already with most of the movement not understanding it, because what we've come to realize is there's this thing called America we're trying to conserve, and everything we need to know about that can be found in our founding, and there is a tremendously new interest in, 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 in what, what it was the founders were trying to give here. Is that too upbeat or optimistic or too simplistic? Um, no, I think it's uh, I, I, you have a nice, you have a very nice uh, way of formulating. Let me do this. Let me hit this commercial break real quick. Let me have you pick up on that when we come right back, uh, if you don't mind, just uh, so we don't interrupt your thought, Charles. We are talking to Charles Kessler, professor at Claremont McKenna, editor of the Claremont Review of Books, author of several books. uh, But uh, for um, my money, if you want the best book on conservatism in America, easily published in uh, memory, Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline and Recovery of American Greatness. I'm Seth and he's Charles and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Seth. Charles Kessler is our guest, author of Crisis of the Two Constitutions, editor at the Claremont Review of Books. Charles, just before the break, we were uh, talking about um, this notion of uh, conservatism in America. Really, at the end of the day, it's about conserving America. And to do that, it shouldn't be too hard to figure out what you want to do is look at what our American founders were thinking and uh, and recommending whether we go to the Federalist Papers, the Declaration, James Madison, Jefferson's work. And I'm just wondering and pose the question to you, is that too simplistic a way to look at it right now? Um, uh, well, I would say all those uh, figures you, you mentioned are uh, essential. I mean, they're necessary. 
to the uh, to American conservatism. Um, I don't know if they're enough okay. in the sense that you would want to. You, you probably, you know, and I'm sure you you meant to include Abraham Lincoln and later statesmen as well, John Quincy Adams and uh, you know uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, and others in between. Um, who contributed something to the American political tradition and who helped to usher into new uh, ages and new circumstances the, the old truths, um, the permanent truths from the Declaration and uh, from the Revolution. So it's a, it's a living tradition, and that means that it is um, changing to some degree in it because it has to uh, uh, apply to new people uh, who don't have the experience of the earlier generations and to new circumstances uh, in which um, there are, if, if not exactly completely new problems, there are uh, problems that are, uh, you know, uh, startlingly new in certain aspects. Um, but I think, you know, I'm, uh, I've written that um, in the in one of my little CRB editorial notes, that uh, it, it seems to me, in a strange way, American politics today is increasingly divided between the anti-American side of it, um, who are mostly uh, liberals or radicals, let's say, um, on the left, who think that the country is systematically racist or sexist or capitalist or something awful. Or something they haven't uh, invented yet that they'll paint us with. Yeah, yes, right. right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, and the new, you know, at least part of the new uh, emerging conservative movement, uh, or, or at least the people who uh, call themselves sometimes the, 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 the new conservative movement of the new right, um, and a, a portion of, of whom, at least, are sort of post-American. Um, it's not that they—it's not that they hate America. Uh, It's—it's that I think a lot of them believe that, that the idea of America has been tried, and it has been, you know, reasonably successful, but it has um, deteriorated. And uh, the experiment—we know the results of the experiment, which is that America becomes increasingly uh, liberal. It becomes increasingly radicalized. The kinds of equality that it um, reveres and enforces are, it become increasingly uh, you know, more comprehensive and, and, and more unlimited. And so that America, they've had enough of. And they're just as happy to move beyond that uh, to some... Um, uh, to something outside of the American experiment, uh, or even to some degree opposed to the American experiment, maybe in the sense that it preceded the American experiment. I mean, in a way, to be post-American is really to, to be pre-American, um, and, and you're forced to go backwards in an attempt to find something new, something uh, opposed to America. This is something, you know, Calvin Coolidge said uh, in 1926 when he uh, gave a famous speech on the Declaration of Independence that, you know, the alternative uh, to the 
truths of the Declaration of Independence, the final truths, as he emphasized, of the Declaration of Independence, uh, is not involves you not really in going forward or progressing towards new truths. It really involves you in going backwards uh, to things that had been tried and uh, rejected, uh, in effect, by the Americans who made the country in the first place. Uh, and that's, I think, um, I think that's profound, and I think that's, in a way, sort of where we are today. You know, I, um, I'm glad you brought up this, the Coolidge 26 speech, because one of the things I have been consumed with concern about is what 2026 will be like. So if we can cut it right in half and go to 1976, that 50 years from the Coolidge speech and 50 years prior to what will be our our next anniversary, uh, I guess our next 50 years uh, anniversary, uh, right. It, it kind of takes you to that point that you were just mentioning. So our friend and, and, and teacher, Harry Jaffa, wrote a book about that in 76, opening lines, something about something close to in 1776, this country was nothing promising to become everything, having become everything, it now looks to become nothing. Is that what you're driving at when you say uh, that this is kind of a post-America, which is a pre-America? Yes, I think so. Um, it's, uh, I mean, he was he was riffing on something Leo Strauss wrote uh, in in that opening, um, in those opening pages of uh, of Jaffa's book, of Jaffa's book on America. That was his bicentennial book, wasn't right? It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How to think about the revolution? Yeah, right. Yeah, how to think about the American Revolution? Yeah, yeah. which was the first book of his I ever read, by the way. That's right. That's right. You read it as an intern at National Review. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I I did uh, start as I should have started probably with with the uh, Crisis of the House Divided. It is his first great Lincoln book. Uh, I started with his, his sort of contemporary controversies with his fellow conservatives, Irving Kristol, Martin Diamond, yeah. uh, Emmy Bradford, and others about America and about the American Revolution. But that was actually a great point of entry because through those debates, you got to see, you know, just about everything in Jaffa's um, universe, the way he saw it, uh, and, and, and sort of, you know, awakened to what was actually uh, going on under the surface in American politics. So all that was... Um, um, that was a great education, but it's highly, still highly relevant, I think. Let, let, let me take a quick commercial break and pick up on that relevance with you on the other side, if that's okay. Would that be okay, Charles? I can keep you just a little bit sure. longer? Sure. That, perfect. Thank you, sir. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Charles Kessler. Uh, crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and Recovery of American Greatness. Fantastic book. Crucial reading if you want to understand America, if you want to understand conservatism. He is also the editor of the Claremont Review of Books. Also crucial reading. I'm Seth and he's Charles and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Charles Kessler is our guest editor at the Claremont Review of Books. Charles, we were we were just uh, going into break talking about uh, Harry Jaffa's thesis about America and conservatism and what a post-America conservative or what, yeah, post-Americanism looks like and how it very much might look like a pre-American 
view of the world. And and I wonder if yeah. you if you might you know pick up on on where we were leaving off, given Jaffa's work in uh, understanding the American Revolution in his book in nineteen uh, on our bicentennial. Yes, I mean uh, if you think about, uh, I mean there is no doubt that the as I was saying the political circumstances of today are new, and you have to um, react to them. Um, Imaginatively, uh, you can't you can't be simply a stick in the mud, repeating the same formulas. On the other hand, um, you have to you have to be aware of uh, what uh, what is true and that persists even through the change in circumstances. So let me let me give you a kind of uh, mundane example. So, for example. Um, I do think that, um, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, uh, trade policy and tariffs and even immigration, that the, 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 the libertarian or the, the, the more pure libertarian sort of answers to our uh, uh, problems uh, today uh, have not worked out well, and that there is room for thinking about the role of tariffs and protection generally uh, in protecting the American middle class and protecting our, you know, industrial um, sector jobs, um, especially against uh, the depredations of uh, China. Um, but um, whatever adjustments we need to make on that front, it doesn't disprove, as it were, free market economics uh, or the, the general kind of, uh, you know, Adam Smithian, uh, Milton Friedman economics. Um, it, uh, it, the truths of, of that economic analysis, uh, most of them are uh, timeless, and we have to recognize them even if, when we're, uh, <laughs> we're violating them or even when we're uh, pushing a little bit in the other direction uh, for to, to secure the health of our own country uh, and its uh, and its economy and its middle class, um, so you know it, it it's much too easy and too facile to say the the Buckley conservatives were you know far gone in sort of free market utopianism. Or something like that. They had those. They had the same kinds of debates that we're having. They were also uh, writing books about the humane economy and how to mix, you know, uh, moral the moral side of conservatism with the economic side of conservatism. Those were very much live issues uh, in the uh, heyday of the earlier American conservative movement. Um, so we. we we need to be careful uh, in uh, dismissing all of that tradition uh, as irrelevant when, in fact, it is, uh, I, I would say, at least, uh, highly relevant. And maybe even uh, it, it probably contains some, uh, you know, guidance that we find useful. Yeah, that's the elephant in the room here that we're beginning to grasp here. <laughs> Interesting phrase, elephant in the room. We're talking about the Republican Party conservatism, Charles. It was the um, 
With great diffidence do I ask you to grade me on what I'm about to say, <laughs> but this was the thesis of, uh, of, of mine and uh, not unique to us, but it was a thesis of mine and another student's of yours, Chris Buskirk's, in a book we wrote where we were trying to look at uh, Bill Buckley's conservatism and the founding of National Review and the modern conservative movement, if you will, uh, and, and, and show and, and tie it to what the American First and MAGA agenda was. And we started with our base, the credenda of National Review. I think the seven issues Bill Buckley said, you know, were the chief concerns in the founding of National Review. And I'm wondering if, uh-huh. uh, as I hit this quick break, we'll have our uh, a fuller segment in the next one. I wonder if we could talk just a little bit about where the America First or MAGA, whatever we want to call it, Trump uh, conservatism, mutatis mutandis, another word I learned from you, phrase, <laughs> if we could kind of tie that back to the origins of the modern conservative movement that Bill Buckley gave us. Can we do that in the next segment? Sure. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. Uh, as we go to break, uh, yeah, I mean, the credenda were about uh, the deep state. They were about internationalism. They were about the threat of communism. They were about uh, the elites in America and as I say, mutatis mutandis with certain changes. We'll be right back. Delighted to uh, come back uh, to the Seth Liebson Show with Charles Kessler, our guest. He is the author of many books, most recently Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and Recovery of American Greatness, um, editor at the Claremont Review of Books. Uh, Charles, so talking about the Bill Buckley conservatism or the beginning of the modern conservative movement in America and what we now know of or think of or talk about is the MAGA movement or the America First uh, series of initiatives. You know, it was my thesis that really the MAGA movement, in most decisive respects, pretty closely mirrored the kinds of things Bill Buckley was saying and disseminating in the 1950s and 1960s through the Goldwater campaign as well. I, As I say, with great diffidence, do I ask you to grade me, but would you? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's. Uh, I think that's very correct. I mean, the if you think of Buckley's involvement, um, you know, uh, first with uh, the, the uh, McCarthy uh, movement, the you know the hunt for. Uh, but in general, anti-communism, and in particular, the hunt for communists within the American government, of which there were quite a few, right. uh, as we now know, um, and as they suspected uh, at the time, um, that was, I mean, there, there was hardly anything more populist than that initial eruption of, uh, of McCarthy's. Um, and Buckley was very was right there beside McCarthy, defending McCarthy. He wrote at least what two books um, uh, on behalf of McCarthy yep. or in defense of the McCarthy movement. Right. Um, and uh, and then in general, as you say, the uh, the attempt to uh, start conservatism in the you know 1950s or so uh, was an attempt to. Uh, appeal from the um, intellectuals and eggheads and academics to ordinary Americans, uh, including businessmen and, uh, you know, uh, uh, lawyers and, and uh, 
uh, you know, teachers and ordinary uh, people all across the country who love the country, who, who were worried about its uh, trajectory, uh, and especially worried at the uh, spread of communism abroad so quickly in the late 40s and early 1950s, so quickly that it seemed to be really that that uh, as Wilmore, as uh, sorry, not Wilmore Kensel, but as as uh, uh, Whitaker Chambers said when he left the Communist Party, Whitaker Chambers had been a spy for the Communists. Um, he said he he thought he was leaving the winning side yeah. for the losing yeah. side, yeah. Um, and there was a lot of geopolitical evidence to suggest that he was correct. Uh, you know, the, the China had fallen. Eastern Europe had fallen. Uh, the the uh, Soviet uh, economy and science were advancing. Sputnik got there before we did. All those kinds of things, which were very much in the air in the 1950s and late 1940s, um, suggested that something had gone very wrong in uh, in the West and that we needed to get to the bottom of what that something was in order to repair it and in order to survive, in order to triumph. Um, and conservatism was very concerned about that in, in general, the, uh, the self-critique, you know, that something had gone wrong in the evolution of the West and had produced communism, which was, after all, a Western, you know, it's a mixture of English economics and German philosophy, right. basically. Right. Uh, it was not something from the Middle Ages or, uh, you know, whatever, from somewhere else. So um, conservatism was extremely intellectual, extremely concerned about sort of the fate of Western civilization, um, and yet intensely populist at the same time. And it seems to me that our conservatism is very much like that. Um I mean, we, uh, you know, the establishment, the liberal establishment, as they took to calling it in those days, is even more of an establishment now. It's richer, it's more powerful, it's spread farther in the United States. It includes, you know, the major corporations now, uh, which it never did in the past, really. <laughs> the Department uh, so, of Defense, <laughs> athlete, right. the NBA, yeah. the NFL, yeah. things yeah. that we I, thought of weren't, uh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, the, the they were always suspicious of the CIA. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, and actually, they were pretty suspicious of uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Sure. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, but I think we're, you know, I, I just uh, um, am not impressed by the uh, sort of wholesale rejection of, of of the previous conservative movement as, as uh, infradig, you know, it's just, it, it's not. It, it's beneath our dignity even to, to uh, you know, read them or to think about them or to grapple uh, with them. And I, I, I think that's a very self-defeating uh, point of view. And not, of course, not all young conservatives or MAGA conservatives uh, take that position, but um, a lot of them do, and yeah. I, I, I guess I'm concerned about that. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Charles, all the way. And I'll, let me maybe conclude then with this question, the Whitaker Chambers question. As you see it, uh, having labored in these fields for so long, Charles, are we now on the winning side, or are we on, would you say, a losing side, or would you say we're at a crossroads? 
Well, um, I, I, and by we, I mean conservatism in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's 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 very hard to know which direction history is going to move in, um, and that's because uh, there's really no such thing as history in advance. <laughs> you know, uh, history history is undetermined. It depends on what we do, um, and it depends upon uh, chance and what happens. And and there's no way of knowing, I think, uh, ultimately, what's going to happen or who's winning and who's losing in some long, you know, ultimate um, sense. Uh, what we have to do is to um, uh, do our duty uh, and to, uh, you know, defend the things that ought to that are worthy of defense and ought to be uh, defended. And that and that's different. I mean, that means, um, in a way, you you can't guarantee, you know, this is a now a sort of cliche, uh, but Churchill uh, said it, and other I think other people had various forms of it, too. It's not possible to uh, guarantee victory. It's only possible to guarantee that you deserve right. victory, right. that you deserve to win. Right. And that uh, 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 that sounds, in a way, simple or even simplistic, but I think it's true. That's a, a great way to put a fine point to it, Charles. And uh, I want to thank you for your time, your your scholarship, your friendship, um, and uh, hopefully we can uh, we can continue this conversation as we get through and uh, try and uh, help see if we can't save this country uh, into uh, November. But Charles. Bless you, sir, and thank you very much, as always. It, well, it, it's always uh, tremendous to be reminded of uh, what a great student you were and how <laughs> lucky I was to have you in oh my, my class. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we're going to get in trouble with this uh, Mutual Admiration Society, but God bless you, sir. Godspeed, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. That's uh, Miranda Lambert. For those of you uh, listening on the podcast, uh, Miranda Lambert's version of Tin Man. The lyrics are beautiful. It's sad, but beautiful. And uh, actually quotes from the original book, The Wizard of Oz. In any event, I want to thank you all for being with us this afternoon. Having closed that last interview with Charles Kessler um, and talking about uh, his teacher and mine, Harry Jaffa, and what we're driving at here when we think about the salvation of of this country uh, and the view that conservatism will be its salvation. Uh, I'll close with a quote from Harry Jaffa. The salvation of the West must come if it is to come from the United States. The salvation of the United States, if it is to come, must come from the Republican Party. And the salvation of the Republican Party, if it is to come, must come from the conservative movement within it. And the salvation of the conservative movement, if it is to come, must come from the renewal and reaffirmation of the principles of the American founding as embodied in the Declaration of Independence. Yes, if conservatism is about conserving and preserving something, ideally something good, And if conservatism in America is about conserving something good, it's obviously about conserving America. Where better to start, obviously, than what gave birth to America and the philosophies behind that? The left doesn't want to conserve America. And now you know why they don't want us studying the founding, even to the point of changing its date. 
God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 